0: Jesus knew how to have a conversation with a person, even though they may have disagreed with where he was coming from or what he was about. Jesus had those conversations. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now here's Pastor Bill. We're continuing our sermon series on Jesus' conversations. Clearly, we have proven in recent days that it's become more difficult to have a reasonable conversation with other people. We have seemed to have lost the art of being able to have a dialogue and a conversation, and so we're going to be taking the next weeks to dig into Scripture and take a look at how Jesus had conversations. He would talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime about anything, and we should be able to do the same. Before we get there, Brother Sean was talking to you about our ability to reach out and begin to do ministry in the community again. And I know that uh, a a Halloween alternative may not sound like a safe event, but we have moved it outside to make it safer. We have distanced it with cars to do trunk or treat at Festival this year. So I've always been giving you these last few weeks a few little trunk ideas of how simple it can be. If you'll take a look at this first one, here's a guy who took his truck. Uh, took a couple of sheets of plywood, you could do it with cardboard, turned it into a Noah's Ark. Next one's a little bit more elaborate. Now this is somebody who is a Hobby Lobby queen, is what I'm thinking at this point, and created a Candy Land set That's pretty extravagant. That one gets the prize. Uh, the next one anybody can do, this is just a sheet of cardboard, turned into a McDonald's drive through window. Every kid has seen a drive through window at McDonald's where they got their Happy Meal, right? So these are just some creative ways, some simple ideas. If those are too elaborate for you, all you have to do is pop your trunk, pull out your spare tire, set it next to you, and act like you're a broken down vehicle, all right? Anybody can do a trunk. If you'd be willing to serve, please write trunk on your communication card. And this is a great opportunity for us to practice what Jesus is going to speak to us today in scripture about getting out in his name and ministering to people. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. Now, let's dig in on what Jesus would say. We're going to look at next week uh, what he would say to LeBron James. I moved LeBron James up because he just won the NBA championship. Before I ever uh, knew who would win the NBA, we picked LeBron just because he's been so controversial and speaking into many things in our culture and having a dialogue as a representative, a platform that he has. I felt like we should look at him. And now that he's won an NBA championship, perfect timing. The next week, the Sunday before election Tuesday, we're going to take a look at what would Jesus say to Joe Biden. And then on the Sunday after the election, we're going to look at what Jesus would say to Donald Trump. Now, some people have already been writing down notes and already trying to predict what I'm going to preach on those particular Sundays. Some of you already have some suggestions for the preacher on what that particular person needs to hear from Jesus. And the whole point of the sermon series is to show you that that conversation is probably gonna go different than you think it should go. Jesus knew how to have a conversation with a person, even though they may have disagreed with where he was coming from or what he was about, Jesus had those conversations. But before we worry about Jesus would say to somebody else, I have spent three weeks, this will be the third week, we first need to let Jesus speak to us. We're his children. We are the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, that Bible you hold in your hands or that might be there on your uh, device, that is God who has spoken to his people throughout all of human history. And it isn't a God who spoke long ago. It isn't a God who spoke to prophets and disciples only. God still speaks today and he still speaks to you and he still speaks to me. If you go back to the very beginning, I could highlight in every single book of the Bible It always points to the fact that God is a God who speaks. In Genesis chapter 3, the first family is put together. And the Lord God said to the woman, in Genesis 7-1, the Lord said to Noah. In Genesis 17-1, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him. In Exodus three fifteen, God said to Moses. In Exodus 4-27, God spoke to Aaron. In Judges 7-2, the Lord God said to Gideon. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, God said to Samuel. In Isaiah 7-3, the Lord said to Isaiah. You could go on and on and on, and if we were here for three more hours, I could highlight every single moment that God spoke to his children. And that same God wants to speak to you and me on a daily basis. The question is, are we willing to hear what God wants to say to us? So before we get on to the other personalities in this series, what would God say to you and me, PCBC, the body of Christ gathered here in northwest Oklahoma City? For those who are worshiping online or those who may be visiting from out of town, you're still a part of the body of christ if you know him as lord and savior and while he may have some unique things to say to this body of believers he still says similar things those general things he would say to the entire body of christ throughout all the world so as we look at this the last two weeks we looked at what did god say to the churches in asia minor that's found in the book of revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. as you read through those and you look at those what he was speaking to those churches back then still speak to his church today. We still struggle with the same things they were struggling with, and he speaks those things into our lives. But as I go to this week, I wanted to speak specifically to what God has said to us, this body of believers. This body of believers that has been planted in northwest Oklahoma City. And what this body of believers continues to partner with is our two mission churches in New York City, and we partner there. As we partner with 150 churches in Venezuela and support them financially because we can't get there physically. As we continue to see a church birthed in the slum of a slum in Zambia that we continue to support through the leadership of the Edwards and that foundation, we are still hearing the voice of God. And what has he said to us? Well, the first thing, if you want to write this down, the first thing I think Jesus would say to us is stay true to your calling. Stay true To your calling now remember this as you look in Scripture when we talk about the call of God on our lives the first calling is to a person we think God what are you calling me to do and that's what we get all caught up with don't miss the first calling his first calling to you personally is to his person he calls you to himself no man can come to the Father unless they come through Jesus the first calling on our life is to have a relationship with the Lord It isn't being called to a church. It isn't being called to a specific ministry. It is being called to a person, the Lord Jesus. But as we experience that calling, as I become a child of God, a new creature in Christ, he gives me a new purpose. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. And so what is God's call on us? It's a call to a person. It's called to a purpose. Before I became the pastor here at PCBC, God had already been speaking God had spoken to this body of believers and gave uh, this church a particular mission statement. So those who are members of the body of PCBC today, uh, break out a little sheet of paper there, a communication card, and very quick pop quiz. I want you to write down, what is the mission of Putnam City Baptist Church? Do you know what God's called us to be a part of? If we don't know the calling, how can we live out the calling? I'm not seeing too many people writing. Ten years we've been talking about this. Ten years we've been praying as a congregation. What is God calling us to do? Well, we've put it out on the webpage. Hopefully this is what you have. And my desire as your pastor is that every member of this body would clearly be able to articulate this. It's real simple. Three things, very simple, that we boil it down to. It's in the purple Oh, you can't even read that very well up there. Here's what it says. You can write this down. PCBC exists to help our community three things. Number one, know God. When you came to know God, you came to know God because God used somebody else to let you know how you could know God. And now that you know God, his purpose, his calling on your life is for you to be engaged. And we're going to see that in just a moment further in scripture, help other people come to know how they could know God in a personal way. Notice it doesn't say help our community know about God. It says help to know God personally. Number two, very unique to this church, we exist to help our community become family. That's a very unique. When I first became pastor, like, what does that mean, and why is that in there? And as we began to go through that journey of seeing what God was calling us to do, we discovered that one of the first things God ever did in creation, He said it wasn't good for man to be alone. He put a family together, and from the very beginning of time, Satan has been attacking relationships, the relationship to know Him. That was the first attack. And then when he got to that and he broke that relationship, then he went after the family. We find Adam and Eve turning on each other. The woman you gave me, Lord, it's her fault. Oh, no, no, he wasn't a spirit. And and you watch the marriage begin to disintegrate. You watch their first children who were born. They didn't have video games to learn this. They didn't have Hollywood to teach them murder. And yet the first siblings took it all the way to a grave ever since then the family has been under attack one of the greatest hurts in our world today is the family and every one of us in here can relate to it in some form or fashion there's not a family in this room that hasn't been touched by some kind of family hurt or grief am i right because the enemy's alive and well and that's where he attacks we want to be a church that steps into that hurt and that pain we want to be a church that encourages the family how to experience God's will in every area of life, no matter what your family's going through or what your family looks like, whether you're a family of one or a family of more, whether you're a traditional family or a blended family, whatever it might be, we want to be a body of believers that encourages you, but not only in your physical family, but also to be a part of a church family. That's how we see this. This is not a country club. This is not an organization. This is a family of believers If you don't have a church home, we would love to be your church family. That's a part of why we exist. The third thing, to help our community know God, become family, and impact the world. Now, notice in those three things, you don't see a lot about us. It isn't about us. It isn't about what we want or we need and all of those things. It's about God's kingdom and God's will. It's about reaching out to other people, and it's about being an influence in this earth as long as God leaves us here. So I think the first thing Jesus would say to us is don't forget or neglect your calling. Second thing he would say to us is some of his very last words that he spoke on this earth. You can go to it, Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28. When you get to verse 16, a lot of people automatically jump down to verse 18 and they miss The context. I want you to go to verse 16 and I want you to see what was happening here. Jesus has died. He's been crucified on a cross. Why? Because of your sin and mine. He has been buried in a tomb and the tomb is now empty. He is risen from the dead. Now, there was a big panic going around because Jesus had prophesied that would happen. And you can read in Matthew's account here that there was some money exchanged with some Roman soldiers to spread a lie that the body had been stolen. Even way back then, there was political cover-ups. Not just in our politics, it goes all the way back throughout all of human history. Way before they had emails that could be burned, hidden, or scourged. They had payouts and buyouts and all kinds of dark money to cover up their hoax. We get to verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. Isn't that interesting in verse 17? How transparent scripture really is. If this was a book written by man, man would not have put in the last part of verse 17. They would have painted a picture of we, the 11 superheroes of the faith. We who remain faithful to Jesus to the end. We gathered on the mountain to receive power from on high. Get as transparent and say, and there were some among us who were very doubtful that Jesus would be able to deliver on what he said he would deliver. And yet in that doubt and in that struggle, I think that's something we may need to hear right now because I'm hearing a lot of this in the body. They're just saying, man, I... I just feel so frustrated in my faith, man. I'm just going through some discouragement right now, as if you're the only one that's ever experienced that. The Lord Jesus Himself experienced those very same. I mean, the disciples of Jesus experienced those very same things. But that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 18, and Jesus came up, and He spanked them. They got a spanking. They got what was coming. Those doubting, unbelieving, hard-hearted disciples needed a spanking, didn't they? Isn't that what the father should do? Spank his children, right? Well, there are some times, yeah. But what does Jesus do in this moment? He speaks to him. He has a conversation. And I think we ought to look into that conversation and see what Jesus spoke to the body then, that he would speak to you and me now. Look at what he said. You know it. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Underline that last phrase, I am with you. I'm with you. Jesus said, listen, you aren't going to do this in your own strength. I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I'm not abandoning you. I will be with you always, even to your very last breath. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You may have thought that God has given up on you. You may feel like God's a million miles away. I want you to know he's right there with you. And even in this moment when they were doubting, they were thinking, man, we gave everything to follow Jesus. They thought he was going to kick Rome out of Jerusalem, and they were going to set up a new political system. Because that's what fixes everything, a new political system. But he came to deliver us for all of eternity, to be an eternal Messiah. He came to deliver us from a Pharaoh, from a Roman government that was bigger than all of Rome could ever put together. That would be the God of this world, Satan. And he said, I'm with you always, even to the end. So what do we do with this conversation? Go back and look at some of the key words. First word he said to him is go, go. Now, we hear that, or we've interpreted that to mean go to church, and that's what my duty is. I gotta get up on Sunday mornings, I've gotta go to church. Is that what he said, go to church? You see, that's become the problem, I think, in our world today, and at least in this nation, is we have settled for going to church as the Great Commission, rather than understanding he's told the church to go into all the world. While we live in a day and time when we have been told we can't go, we're supposed to stay at home, we're supposed to shelter, we're supposed to keep our distance, we're not supposed to engage socially, we're going to see in a moment that a virus cannot stop the gospel. And we cannot let a virus stop the gospel. We just have to find new ways of going. We may have to go outside instead of inside for everything. We may need to get back to the original design where it wasn't about bringing people up to a church building to hear the gospel, but that the church went out into all the buildings and all of society and told them about the Jesus of our gospel. Maybe we just ought to get back to what worked in the very beginning. I know this, that uh, while we were supposed to be sheltering away from one another, it caused us to look at different ways of taking the gospel to our city, and we moved outside and we did lawn chair church. And through that encounter, we had opportunities with our neighbors that we've never had before, people that engaged over these past months that are now members of this body that we would have never reached if we would have stayed huddled up inside this brick and mortar. So there are always unique ways to go. The point is this, we're to always be going. How many of you are still going to work? How many of you still go to the store? How many of you still go get gas? How many of you still go somewhere? You're going. The question is, what are we taking when we go? Next thing you need to see, he says, as you go, it's not go to church. It's to go in the world and make disciples. That talks about reaching people. In January, when I bring my State of the Church address, I'll be challenging us with a new theme for 2021 called, Who's Your One? That is a theme that has been used by Southern Baptists over the past year or two years, uh, challenging the body of Christ to take one person and let that be their ministry for the year. And if they reach that person through the year, they take on another one but that we would at least focus in on one person who doesn't know Jesus, somebody we live with, somebody we know, somebody we work with, somebody we live next to, or somebody God brings across our path. And we pray for that person, and we serve that person, and we share with that person. In 2021, we'll be talking more about how we can make disciples, how we can reach them. Here's the next phrase you ought to see that Jesus spoke. He said, make disciples of all nations. In other words, it isn't about just joining a church and hanging out at church. It's about going into all the earth with the gospel. It's not just about you and me being discipled. It's about us reaching people. And then the next phrase I want you to underline is teaching them. Teaching them. So in 2021 and before then, starting even now, I want you to start praying about who's that one person who you can reach with the gospel? And once that person is reached, once they're born into the kingdom and birth, this new babe in Christ, they must be taught. That is teaching and discipleship. We have a tool available that we are now, and we're not making it a program, you don't show up on Sunday night and take a course on how to disciple people, but we will teach you one-on-one how to disciple others. Matter of fact, that's the name of the tool we use, it's called One-on-One with God. We didn't make it up, it comes out of Northwest Baptist Church right here in Oklahoma City. Since the 1970s, I think. Is that right? 1970s. A businessman who was going into all the earth with his business realized, I need to make disciples. I'm not here just to make money. I'm here to make, I'm here to make disciples. And So he taught his organization. He taught his business. He taught others. He taught his church how to reach people and teach people. If that is a need in your life, we're going to be offering that in 2021. Who's your one and one-on-one with God in 2020? one see okay maybe it's just me turn to Matthew chapter 16 what else did Jesus say to us Matthew chapter 16 verse 17 here's Jesus having a conversation now with Peter he's having a conversation with the disciples saying, who does everybody say that I am ask somebody in this world today who is Jesus you'll get some really crazy crazy conversations or you'll get this oh, i just, i don't i don't talk about religion they just won't have a conversation at all. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? This is a classic response where Peter doesn't give just a Sunday school answer. He gives a hard answer. And now we see what Jesus says in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon bar because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. You see, what flesh and blood had been teaching in Jerusalem where he grew up as a little kid he grew up very at least exposed to the Jewish faith. He was taught by flesh and blood, you must be a Jew to know God. He was taught by flesh and blood, you must keep commandments. And there are things you must do and things you can't do. Have you heard that before? That's what was taught to him. But he said to Peter, my father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. That's called divine revelation, divine inspiration. It wasn't a Sunday school answer. It was the God of heaven speaking to his heart. And he made that declaration, Thou art the Son of the living God. He came to realize Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't creating a new religion. He was the Son of the living God. And that he must be the Master and Lord of his life. So Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Some things we need to hear that he was saying to Peter, that he was saying to his disciples, that he says to you as his disciples, the first thing, write it down, the first thing we need to hear from Jesus is, this is my church. That's what Jesus said. I will build my church. I want you to understand this isn't the pastor's church. I want you to understand this isn't the deacon's church. I want you to understand this isn't your church. It's his. Always has been, always will be. I've had some people over time say they find out I'm a pastor and maybe I've invited him to church or whatever, and 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 next time I see him they say, Hey, yeah, yeah, we're we're still we're still thinking about coming to your church, preacher. I said, Well, you're coming the wrong place. There is no such thing. I don't have a church. I have a savior. I get to pastor a church called Putnam City Baptist Church. It's his church. It's not mine, it's not yours, it's his church. Remember those things. Number two, he said this, and I will build my church. The beautiful thing is, while there were people who were great craftsmen that put together this church called PCBC, this campus that we walk on, that's not the church that's being built. It's not brick and mortar. It's you and it's me. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. Matter of fact, that word in the Greek is ecclesia. It, it, it speaks there of the called out ones. It's the ones that have been called out of their sin and called to a person, Jesus. And Jesus said, I will build my church. That's you, if you know Christ. That's me. We are being built up every single day. That's why Philippians 1.6 says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in me, he will complete it. He will build it up to perfection. Perfection. You're his church if you know Christ, and he will build you up. The third thing I want you to see out of this passage that Jesus said is the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. Now, to understand that phraseology, you have to understand the culture. And in that day and time, cities were fortified. Because the enemies were always trying to take more territory and to conquer you, if you lived behind a fortified city, a walled city, they couldn't get to you, and so they would build high and and, and thick walls to protect themselves from the attacks of an enemy. And they would have to put gates in certain locations so they could get in and they could receive people. They could get out to get the things they needed to feed their people or to do what they needed to do, but they also needed those gates to be fortified so the enemy couldn't penetrate them. And if you ever wanted to take a city, you had to first conquer the gates. And what we know is this, that when we're born in this world, the gates of hell, the gates of our sin hold us in. We're separated from a holy God, trapped in that sin, separated for all of eternity. But God so loved you, he sent a gate conqueror. He sent your champion, Jesus, who took on the gates of hell, who died on a cross, was buried, and Satan thought he had won. And Three days later, our champion arose from the dead. The gates of hell, the gates of death did not prevail. And Jesus tore the gates wide open. So that we don't have to be eternally bound in our sin, condemned before a holy God, but we can have victory through Jesus. In fact, Scripture says we're more than conquerors now because the gates of hell will not prevail. And yet as I look around today, it's as if we have given in to the gates of hell. It's as if we've drawn a conclusion that we've lost the war, that our world is literally going to Hades. I'll say it that way. And it seems to be documented very well in front of our eyes every day on our television screens and in social media. It certainly appears like the gates of Hades are prevailing. Are we just going to crumple up? Are we going to forget what Jesus said? Are we going to let a virus put a wall between us and our calling, the gates of hell, a virus cannot prevail. But we got to learn how. we got to learn how to experience victory in these times. We got real convicted through this journey. It's been a difficult time trying to lead a flock during restrictions and uh, keeping people safe and working on those things. None of us want to experience what we're experiencing today. This room used to be packed out to 450 people. Now we've got to split it out over two campuses to keep everybody safe. Wish we could all be together as one and doing the kumbaya moment, but it's a different day for a season. But I also know this. It doesn't matter if we're under a virus, looking at a different virus in the future or whatever. The gospel will still go forward. Friend of mine who grew up in, or didn't grow up in this church, but served in this church, was one of my youth workers back in the day, would eventually become a youth pastor after I left. A guy by the name of John Freeman. Some of you know John. He's now pastoring a church in Benton, Louisiana. Anybody know Benton, Louisiana? Benton? Small little community outside of Shreveport. That small little community, Benton, Louisiana, this past year during COVID virus season, had a theme of who's your one. Focused on staying true to the gospel, they kept meeting. In June, when there was a huge outbreak in Louisiana, they packed up all their high school kids on buses and sent them to the beaches of Florida. That sounded pretty careless to me. They kept them safe. They kept them restricted. They went to a Christian campground. They did all that. They went later in July to junior high camp. They continued to meet on Sunday. They continued to go out with the gospel the best way they could. Being safe the best way they could. This year, they baptized 250 people. The virus and the gates of hell shall not prevail. A community not too far from them, I've told you about before, a church called Hillview Heights Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky. A huge metropolis of 68,000 people. Out of 68,000 people, now this was just right before COVID broke out, but they continue to keep the same vigor and same Uh, gospel-centered mission, baptized in a town of 68,000 people, baptized right before COVID, 600 people in one year. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And as we move forward, whatever this looks like, whatever we may face, moment by moment, it shall not, it cannot dictate our obedience to what God has said to somehow find new ways of going into people's lives. I don't know what that looks like yet, I know in October we're going to go outside and we're going, to, we're going to do a trunk or treat to minister to hurting kids. We're going to do that safely and we're going to do that through distance and we're going to make it extremely safe, but we're going to keep ministering. We're going to keep meeting and we're going to keep gathering and we're going to do that until Jesus comes back. We're going to keep going to uh, New York City. We're going to keep going to Zambia. We're going to keep going. Whatever that looks like, we're going to find out how do we do that. We're going to keep going into our neighborhoods, and we're going to keep going to our city because that's what Jesus said to do. But for us to do that, we have to learn the other piece of what Jesus said. We find that in Acts chapter 1. Quickly turn over to Acts chapter 1, and I'm out of time. Acts chapter 1, and drop down to verse 8. In Matthew 28, he said, go. In Acts chapter 1, he says, don't go. What does that mean? I thought you said, go. Go and make disciples. And he says, well, wait, wait. Don't go yet. He called them to an upper room. He said, listen, before you go, you need to wait on me. And you wait in that upper room. And before you ever go, you better experience the upper room He said, from my Father, let's take a look at it, from my Father will send to you the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses. Before you ever go, you need to know. You need to know the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid, and I preach this often, that many of us know who Jesus is for our salvation But we don't know the Holy Spirit who lives in us to live out our sanctification. We get busy about trying to do stuff for God and going and going and going and doing and doing. And we're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's two things in this passage. Receive power. Be my witnesses. The last thing that I would give you is Romans chapter 12 verse 6. And you've got to look at it quick because I'm behind. Romans twelve six it says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us exercise those gifts. We receive the Holy Spirit. He gifts us supernaturally. I'll put up on the screen, here are some of the gifts that we look at, and we can help you discover your spiritual gifts if you need help finding. These are the serving gifts. Now, as you look at the gifts taught in Scripture, you'll see signs and wonder gifts, and you'll see serving gifts. We focus on the serving gifts, not neglecting the power of the Holy Spirit and signs, what we want to talk about. How do we exercise our serving gifts? Well, here are some of those things. You can write them down. if you don't know what your spiritual gift or gifts might be, we will help you. It's called Place Ministries, right on your card. I want to know my gifts, and we'll help you discover your spiritual gifts. And as you look at all those, you may say, "Man, I think that one might be," and I certainly think that that one is not my gift. For example, how many have the gift of mercy in the room? I expect maybe two hands. Got and they won't even they won't even raise their hands very high, right? They're, And the rest of us, we don't lift our hands. Now, does that mean we don't have to be merciful? You see, in all these things, we are all called to be these in Christ. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Some are more gifted in other areas. There are some people way more merciful than I am, I promise, i.e. my wife. But that doesn't mean I have the privilege of saying, well, that's not my spiritual gift, so I get to be a jerk. (laughs) I don't have the gift of giving, so I don't have to... Give. I'm not talking about an offering plate. I'm talking about giving my life. I'm talking about serving. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, did Jesus say those who have the gift of evangelism go into all the world and make disciples? Or who did he say that to? All of us. All of us have a calling. And Jesus would speak these things in our lives. The question is, what are we going to do about our calling? Pray with me, if you would, with every head bowed and every eye closed right where you are, what's God said to you this morning? Maybe it's something he reminded you of related back to our purpose as a body of believers here at PCBC. Maybe he is calling you to exercise that gift because you see, without exercise, we become lethargic, we become grumpy, we become ineffective. And that's the church in America today. People's exercise has been getting up, getting dressed, and going to church. That's not exercising your gift. That's barely exercising your limbs. God calls you to exercise that which he has placed in you. The power of his Holy Spirit. The gifting of his Holy Spirit. And if you're not not engaged in that, this morning I I would cry out to God and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for not trusting your power and your purpose. God, fill me. God, show me how you want to work through my gifts that you've given me. God, where do I need to go next? Who do I need to go to? Maybe God's showing you a person to start praying for even now before we get to 2021. Maybe he's calling you to a church family. I want to pray for you. Whatever your decision, tell God what's on your heart as you've heard his voice. His voice and honor him in this moment. Father, we surrender all. All our doubts, all our sin, all our stubbornness, all of our inadequacies. More than that, we surrender our hearts. God, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit. And God, as you send us, God, may we go in that power and exercise the gifts you've given us. Lord, may we look back and may we see countless people who are now our brothers and sisters in Christ because they've heard the good news and they've received the good news. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.